back in Romans, we're going to be in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, your phone, or you want to pull up the notes online, they're on our website or our new app, Romans chapter 11. And our title tonight is Unfinished Business, Unfinished Business, and you'll see why as we go through it. But in case you're wondering, we're a little bit out of sync. If you were here the last Wednesday when we did have service in December, Pastor Dave Fulkers was here, and he did chapter 12. So we kind of got a little bit out of sync, but that was because of the hurricane and the storm. And really, chapter 11 and 12 are standalone messages. They don't really connect as far as topics go. So it'll be no problem at all that we're just reversing 11 and 12, and then next week we'll get back in order with 13, 14, 15, etc. But because we're doing 11, I do want to revisit one verse all the way back in chapter 10. It's the closing verse of 10, and I'll read it to you. You can turn if you want, but I'll read it. This is Romans 10, verse 21. Here's what it says. And it's kind of going to set the tone of our whole topic tonight. It says, concerning Israel, he says, God would be the he, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's God calling his nation, Israel, disobedient and obstinate. And really, that verse in Romans, Paul is quoting really the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 65. Let's look at it. It'll be on screen. Same, same word, same idea. This is God speaking again. All day long, I have held up my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that are not good. They're pursuing their own imaginations of people who continually provoke me to my very face. That's how God was describing his chosen people. But as I read this, it kind of described myself, probably a lot of you, before you found Jesus. We were all disobedient, obstinate people doing our own thing. So that'll kind of explain why God is sort of judging Israel tonight. That's going to be kind of our tone. So now that I've done all that, let's look at 11.1. Chapter 11, verse 1. I'm only going to read the first half of one, though, by the way. Here's what 1a says. So Paul, after he said that statement, he says, I asked then, verse 1, did God reject his people? And that's really our million-dollar question tonight. Did God reject Israel? He'll answer his own question in a second. But really, if you were here back in Romans chapter 9, we kind of answered that. We covered that. Israel was rejected, and they were rejected for a reason, a very good reason. Israel rejected Jesus. It wasn't anything they had done in the Old Testament, all those other earlier generations. It was they rejected the Messiah, and God is going to judge them for that. So what Paul is really asking here when he says, did God reject his people? We already know in chapter 9, yes. What he's really asking, and I'll, this is my words, is it a permanent rejection? Did God permanently reject Israel? Well, if I read the second half of one, you'll see what he says. Let's read it. By no means. By no means did he reject Israel. Then he goes on to say, I am an Israelite myself. In other words, I know what I'm talking about. A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not, this is the first half of two, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. But keep in mind, they are temporarily rejected because they rejected Jesus. I'll keep hammering that probably all night, by the way. But if you were here back when we covered chapter 9, I do want to read you one more verse. This is Romans 9, 8. This is the promise. This is the promise to Abraham. He's going to bring that back up. Here's what the, the promise was. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent. In other words, it's not the lineage. It's not the DNA who are God's children. It's the children of the promise, the promise itself, who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. And we can look at other verses. I'm not going to put them on screen. But like Galatians 3.8 says, part of that promise, all nations, including our nation, all Gentiles, all nations will be blessed through you. He also promised to give him descendants that outnumbered the stars in the sky. And then later he also made a promise that through your seed, not seeds, plural, seed, singular, would be Jesus, through your seed the whole world will be blessed. But it's the children of the promise. And all of you, if you believe in Jesus, you, I, we're the children of the promise. It's not the lineage. And that's what the Jews were hung up on. It's, it's our DNA. 
because I can trace my lineage back through those 12 tribes, I get a free pass to heaven. Many Jews to this day believe that. They're sadly mistaken, and we'll talk about that as I read more verses tonight. It's a conditional promise, though. This whole children of the promise, we have to stay in his presence. We have to abide and stay in his presence. We have to follow. We have to follow. So it's a conditional promise tied to our obedience. Let's keep reading the second half of two. Here's what it says. Paul's going to ask a question. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Then verse 3 says, this is Elijah speaking, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And we remember that story from the Old Testament. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. So Elijah, that's a story, by the way, if you want to read it later, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah, to kind of paraphrase what he's feeling, he's saying, woe is me. I'm the only one left. I can't believe this has all happened. They're trying to kill me. I'm the last true Jew left. Was he? No. If you've read that story, or you can read it later, you'll find out. But Paul's going to answer it for us in verse 4. Let me read verse 4. Here's what it says. What was God's answer when he said, I'm the only one? I have reserved for myself, that's God speaking, 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. In other words, 7,000 solid believers that held fast to my truth. So Elijah thought he was the only one. God had 7,000 more in storage ready to go. He was not the only one. He was discouraged. He was dejected. We prayed while I go for burdens. Elijah had a big burden. He thought he was the only one left. But God preserved a remnant. Don't you just love that? But God. But God made a way. He always saves a remnant. We'll see that over and over in our verses tonight. But it brings up our first main point. This is a great one for all of us to remember. Don't be an Elijah. Don't imagine the worst. Because we all do that sometimes, don't we? We can think the worst when something looks like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this mess. I've got this burden, this jam. I don't know how that could work. Well, our God works miracles. Last time I checked, this book is full of miracles. When people saw no way out, think about the Red Sea, for example. That's a dead end, no way out. What did God do? Don't worry about that. I'll make a way. He made a way for Elijah. So don't be chicken little. Remember that story when you were a kid, Chicken Little? The sky's falling, the sky's falling. The sky wasn't falling. Ours didn't either. Trust God. Have faith. So that's our first point. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Paul's going to remind them, just like in Elijah's days, so too, at the present time, while Paul is writing this, there is a remnant. In other words, a preserved, loyal few chosen by grace. And then if by grace, verse 6, then it can't be based on works. It's not because they followed the law perfectly. It's by grace they were preserved as a remnant. If it were, grace wouldn't no longer be grace. And that's a key thing to remember. No matter how many times Israel messed up, God always preserved a remnant. There was always a people group that were loyal, solid. They never got distracted. They never had false gods, worshipped idols, were burning incense to the wrong, you know, false gods. Paul is telling us in this verse that there was a remnant in his day. Well, you know, we have one in our day too. And I see a couple right here in this room. They're called Messianic Jews. The Jews that believe in, yeah, I see you, Joe. (laughs) Um, And others. They're a remnant in a way because they stayed fast to the Messiah. They believe in Jesus. They are a modern day remnant. Paul had the same remnant in his day. God always has a remnant. So don't get discouraged when it looks like there's no hope. God makes a way. He always keeps a remnant. Let's read verse 7. Then what then, Paul says, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, in other words, their Messiah, they did not obtain because they missed it. They weren't the remnant that recognized it. The elect among them did, the patriarchs, the remnant that was preserved, but the others were hardened But first, they rejected. So they were hardened after they rejected. And as it is written, look what it says next in verse 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear to this very day. 
if we keep rejecting Jesus, there is a line that we can cross, and we don't know where that is. But at some point, God will say, I've offered, I've offered, I've offered. We saw that with Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh rejected more than once, and then finally God at the end hardened his heart. He doesn't harden you right away, though. You get chance after chance after chance. But we don't know where that line is. So the best way, if you're here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus, just accept him tonight. Don't take chances with saying no because you don't know where that hardening would happen. But these verses can be kind of hard to understand. You know, in other words, why are some elected? Why are some hardened? We'll cover that more in a few minutes. But then look at verse 9 ties into that. Look what it says in verse 9. And David says about these people that rejected. May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Now, the table might sound kind of weird, but what the visual would be, think about how they would relax and eat. They would all lay around, maybe on pillows and recline. And it's a picture of everybody relaxed and thinking, we got this thing figured out. We're so comfortable in our surroundings that we're going to heaven. And David says their table is going to be a snare. They have a false belief of their security, and it's really not accurate. So they're really believing in a way they're making... The same case that I made a while ago, our lineage is going to save us. We are the chosen people. We'll be saved. I don't really have to do anything. I just got to go along for the free ride. I get a free pass because I'm Jewish. Scripture says exactly the opposite. Jesus' own words say the opposite, and I'll read them to you shortly. Let's read verse 10. David's still talking. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. May their backs be bent forever. In labor, in captivity is what that really means. But here's the bottom line. We can't spend all night, and when we could, by the way, on this whole chosen choice, elected, hardened thing, it's really complicated. Um, When people tell me they fully understand it, I kind of look at them funny like, are you sure about that? Because my opinion, this is just Dave's opinion, by the way, I think this chosen versus choice is right up there with the Trinity, They're both in Scripture. I can show you verse after verse. Once again, we don't have time that God chooses, God elects. But then also, there's many more other verses that say we have a choice, a free will. Remember, Jesus at one point stands over Jerusalem. He says, if only you would return, I would just take you in like a mother that gathers her chicks, a mother hen. But you you refuse. You reject me. They rejected Jesus, and there's going to be a price to pay for that. But there's always hope. Remember, there's always a remnant. So the bottom line is they're both in Scripture, so they're both true. How they are true, I don't know. Good luck getting your brain around that because it's like a God concept. You know, we have human brains. God has a God brain. Our human brain doesn't always understand everything in this book. But we don't have to. That's why it's called faith. We just have to have faith and believe it. If we could prove everything by some scientific method, we wouldn't even need faith. So God wants us to have this faith that God's going to do it. I don't know exactly how, but I really don't need to know how. And here's another great thing if you get kind of hung up on, you know, in other words, I've, I've talked to people and they were really hung up on this chosen choice thing, elected, not elected. If you believe in Jesus, and I hope you all do, if you don't, come down and see me at the end. We'll fix that. We'll pray about that and just kind of lead you to Christ, if you will. But if you believe, you're going to heaven. Does it really matter if you were elected to go or you chose to go? No. What matters is you get there. So my advice is make sure you get there. The other part becomes kind of like a fruitless argument. Instead of arguing about who's chosen, who's elected, We should spend our energy going to talk to people that don't know about Jesus. Let's get more people to go with us. Let's burst it at the seams to overflowing versus arguing with each other about are we chosen or elected. It's really a waste of time. So keep that in mind. Just make sure we get there. That's the real important part. And if we were to go back to once again, I keep referring to chapter 9, one of the main points I made, and I still remember it because it's the shortest main point I've ever made, I think, in my life. My point was that night, trust God. Just trust God. So if you're watching online, trust God. If you're in here tonight, you're in the comments, trust God. I'm speaking to myself, just trust God. He will work it out. We don't need to know the details. We just need to believe. 
So, I'll get off my soapbox. Let's keep reading. But to see a possible reason for their rejection, let's go back to that verse I put on screen earlier. Let me reread Isaiah to us. Here's the reason if we want to know why we're some hardened. Let me read Isaiah 65 again. All day long, God speaking, I held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that are not good. They pursue their own imagination. They continually provoke me to my very face. So there's a great reason why God's rejecting them. They're being obstinate, disobedient, and provoking him to his very face. So let's see what Paul says about that. Let's read verse 11. Let's move on a little bit. Again, Paul's going to ask a question. Again, I ask, did they stumble so far, this rejection, as to fall beyond recovery? In other words, is it permanent? He follows up with, not at all. It's not a permanent rejection. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to Melbourne, Florida. West Melbourne, I guess, technically. It says to the Gentiles, and last time I checked, most of the room, not everybody, remember I said there's some Messianic Jews here tonight, most of us are Gentiles. We got blessed through their rejection. We'll cover that in a few minutes also. But look what he says at the tail end of that verse. I don't think I read it yet. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. There was a purpose for us getting the, the free offer, the chance. It was supposed to make the Jews envious of what we had figured out, and they were supposed to also get on board. But as we well know, that most of the time did not happen. There was always a remnant, the ones that did get it, but for the most part, they didn't want to believe in Jesus. Let's look at another verse that kind of echoes that same thought. It's Acts 13. It'll be on screen. It describes the whole Gentile thing. Then Paul and Barnabas, they remember they were debating the Jewish leaders. They answered them boldly, the, the Pharisees and all the religious leaders. We had to speak the word of God to you first, to the chosen people. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn our efforts to the Gentiles. So the Jews got the first chance. We got the second chance. But because of their rejection, we got the blessing. That'll also be kind of repeated as we keep reading. Let's read verse 12 and you'll see what I mean. But if their transgression, in other words, their rejection, means riches for the world, for the Gentile world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? In other words, they, they will be restored. How much greater is it going to be when they are fully included someday? In other words, when they do take the second chance and take it this time. Brings up our next main point for taking notes, main point number two. Anytime we fail, because Israel failed in this, they rejected Jesus. When we fail, God's desire is to restore us, always. He's a God of multiple chances, not just second chances, third chances, four chances. There is a finite number, but as long as we repent and return, that's what he wants. If I just keep saying no, 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 he will eventually cut me off. But if I just say, Lord, I messed up, I'm so sorry, I repent, I want to change, I want to do better, he will just take us back with open arms. He's a loving father, no matter what our world tries to paint him as. We get chances we don't deserve over and over. So will Israel. We'll see that tonight as we, I keep reading. Let's read verse 13. I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. That's Paul. I take pride in my ministry, my witnessing to the Gentiles, in the hope, here's why he takes pride in it, in the hope that I may somehow, some way, and he's really saying that God will make a way to arouse my own people, the Jews, to envy and save some of them. So Paul says for the second time now, the Gentiles, when we got the offer, it was supposed to make Israel envious. They were supposed to be jealous and in a good way jealous of what we had figured out, and then they were supposed to come running in too. But they didn't do it. And unfortunately, I think we as Christians, not us personally, but historically, Christians hadn't done a very good job about making the Jewish people envious. In most cases, to be honest, we've done the opposite. 
If you read history, we've persecuted the Jews. We've been prejudiced against the Jews. I mean, think about, we've done outright harm, death, murder, the Holocaust. We've not made them jealous. We've made them really probably not like us and fearful, fearing for their own lives because of how we have behaved, somehow blaming them for you know, the cross. We're supposed to make them jealous. We're supposed to bring them back, and we'll see that over and over tonight. And then it, Paul just said how much more wonderful it would be when they're finally included. Well, one day in heaven we'll find out because we're going to see it. You will see that. So will I if you get there. That's your job. Get there. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. He's going to explain a little more. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, to all of us, what will their acceptance be someday but life from the dead? If the part of the dough, verse 16, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So he's using bacon analogies, agricultural analogies. A little confusing, and, and I'll just tell you, what are these first fruits he's talking about? We're not exactly sure, and I'll give you two possibilities. It's either the Old Testament patriarchs, that could be the first fruits, and because of them we were all made holy by, by the work they laid at the, the foundation. Or it also could be, and I don't know which one I believe, by the way, I, I can make a case for both. It could also be these first fruits would be the first Jewish messianic believers, the ones that converted and, and believed in Jesus. They might be the first fruits. Either way, it's the same point Paul's making, no matter which group it really is. He's saying, how great is it going to be when the Gentiles and Jews are together, reconciled, all believing and worshiping Jesus together? That will happen in the end times, by the way. I'll get more into that in a second. It doesn't really happen until end times in Revelation. If you were here in Revelation, we covered some of that. I'll touch on a few verses we covered later tonight. But let's move on. Let's read verse 17. Paul's now going to give some reasons of why it's going to be great. He's already told us it's going to be great. Now he's going to give us the why it'll be great and also how it could happen. Verse 17, he says, If some of the branches have been broken off, that would be the Jewish nation, by the way, and you, the Gentiles, though you are a wild olive shoot. Did you know you're a wild olive shoot, by the way? We're all wild olive shoots. Unless you're a Messianic Jew, then you're a real olive shoot. Us Gentiles are wild. We're all wild olive shoots. So you can go around tonight saying, I'm a wild olive shoot later. But don't blame me for putting that in your head. It's in the scripture. It's God's word, not mine. But it says, you're a wild olive shoot. You've been grafted in among the others, and now you share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So he's using agriculture. Now, I don't know about many of you. Um, Pastor Dave is our big agricultural expert, but he's away on vacation. He's using an illustration only an agricultural person would probably understand. The original hearers would have clearly got it, though. And, and here's what it would be. I, I want to explain it so it doesn't make like much sense if you don't know this. In ancient times, we all know they had a lot of olive trees. The olive oil was really important for everything. But at some point in an olive tree's life, when it gets really, really old, it kind of quits growing. It quits producing olives. It loses its vigor. It's kind of a tree still, but nothing really good is coming off of it. But they had a way to fix that. What they would do, they would cut off some of the old branches go out in the woods or the wild area, get some wild olive shoots, graft them onto the old dead tree, and it would revive it. It would reinvigorate it. It would start producing olives again. So to save it, they would graft in some wild olive shoots. Paul is making that same illustration that we are the wild olive shoots grafted in to get Israel going again. But they didn't really grow. Um, God... Made a way, but they didn't take it. But let's keep this branch thing, keep that in your mind when we read the next verse or two, verse 18 and 19. He's kind of going to warn us, don't be so prideful. You were a wild olive sheet grafted in there, Dave. Don't be, don't be full of yourself. Here's what he says. That's my translation, by the way. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. In other words, the original branches. You Gentiles don't think you're superior to the Jews, is what he's really saying. If you do, if you get prideful, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. You will then say, yeah, but 
branches were broken off so I could be grafted on. That would be true. He's making a little different analogy here, one I'm going to kind of phrase roots versus shoots. Roots versus shoots. And remember, we're the wild shoots. The Jews will be the roots. He's pointing out that the root, the original, even the tree that was kind of you know, stagnant and quit growing, the tree, the root itself, always supports the graft or the shoot. Never the, other, the graft doesn't support the root. It can't. It can bring nutrients down to it, but the root supports the grafted shoots. So here's the real takeaway on this one. There's a point to this illustration. Even though Paul didn't make it, I'm going to make it. There's a kind of theology out there now, and it's been around ever since Paul's days, because they were saying it back in Paul's days, by the way, that's called replacement theology. Replacement theology. And what that is is what it sounds like. People say that the church, the modern church, us, we have replaced Israel because they rejected Jesus. Chapter 11 doesn't quite sound like that so far, does it? And if we keep reading, you're going to see it more and more. Well, I would nicely tell anyone who believes that they're mistaken. It also would tell any pastor that's teaching this replacement theology. In other words, that the church has replaced Israel. God's done with Israel. They had their chance. If they're teaching that, they're a false teacher. They're a false teacher, plain and simple. And be careful listening to that because there's other verses we don't have time to read that says, and we know them, if you support Israel, I'll bless you. If you don't support Israel, I'll curse you. Think of our nation. In the past, we were big supporters of Israel. As the years go by, we seem to be supporting Israel less and less. That's dangerous territory. But we, as a, as a church-going body of believers, we have to support Israel. No matter what the world says, we need to support Israel because God's not done with Israel. I'm only halfway proving the point. We're going to get even more proof here in a minute. So don't listen to replacement theology. Let's keep reading. He's going to say why. Let's read the next couple of verses, 20 and 21. Granted, they were broken off. In other words, they were removed because of unbelief. And you, you Gentiles, you stood by faith. But don't be arrogant because you're still connected. He even says in the next two words, you better tremble. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jewish nation, the chosen people, look what it says. He will not spare you either. He removed his first choice, his chosen. They clearly were chosen, by the way. Another great case for choice. They were the original chosen. They rejected. They had a choice. And he ties it to faith. He says, you Gentiles, you're still connected because you have faith. In, the, in that verse, he called it unbelief. And he mentioned that Israel's broken off because of their unbelief. But the warning is for us too. It really applies to us because the warning was about Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, he's not going to spare us either. We were the second choice. I want to show you a verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way. It's out of Matthew. I love this verse. I've read it before in here. Anyone, and we're anyone, by the way, who falls on this stone. Who's the stone? Jesus. If you fall on this stone, you will be broken to pieces. But that's a good thing. I'll explain. But anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When you fall on Jesus, you're broken of yourself. Your pride your, your self-reliance, all the things you think you got figured out, you have to die to self. Remember in Scripture it always says die to self, die to self. So when you fall on the stone, you want to be broken. It's a good break. You're broken of all the bad things, the bad habits, the pride, the self-reliance. We want to fall like that. So that's a good thing. And Hopefully you've all fallen. But if you don't fall like that and choose Jesus... This will be the Jews. The stone will fall on you and crush your head. And it's really an eternal crush. And you don't get a second chance after death. The only Jews that get this second chance we're talking will be the ones alive in the end times. Any of us who reject Jesus, there's an eternal separation in a place called hell for rejecting. 
That's for the Jews. That's for us. So don't wait around. Today is the day of salvation. But it's a choice. On the screen it says, belief is a choice. We can choose to believe and be broken in a good way, or we can choose unbelief and just die in our sin. We might get, who knows, 80, 90, 100 years down here, but then what? I'm going to be crushed forever. If I choose to be broken the good way, I get eternal life, just like you do. We want to be broken. Does that make sense? Good. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. Let's get back to our, our text. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness, in other words, he'll crush the ones who fell. Sternness to those who fell. But kindness to you, you who were broken in a good way, provided, it's a provisional kindness, provided that you, what is that next word? Continue. Provided that you continue in his kindness. In other words, what did Jesus say? Abide in me. Stay. Follow. It was always words like that. It's stay connected or the next sentence says, otherwise you'll be cut off. It's a conditional promise. It's if, in many translations, the one I read, it said, um, provided you continue. A lot of translations say, if you continue. Same idea. It's conditional. If we act right, we stay in the Bible, we stay in church, we stay in God's presence, we get the eternal blessing. But if we make a one-time profession of faith 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe in a church service, but nothing ever changes. In other words, I just live a sinful, disobedient life like that verse we read, you disobedient, obstinate people. That's not salvation. It's not a one-time prayer profession of faith. That's the start of it sometimes. But it's a lifestyle of staying in the Word, staying in believing in Christ. It's obedient following. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Otherwise, what happens? You get cut off. Which brings up our next point if you're taking notes. And I kind of just said it in different words. Salvation is not a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. It's remaining, abiding. But let me be clear. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. We don't teach and believe that here. What I'm talking about is, in other words... And I would put that in the category, yes, you prayed a prayer, yes, you're saved, but you, you made a mistake, you fell into sin, you messed up for a little period of time. God will take you back and welcome you back with open arms if you say, I'm sorry, and repent. What I'm describing more is, say, for example, we'll just use me as an example. What if I prayed a prayer to be saved, and it was 20, 30 years ago, and then I later just choose to go back to my sinful lifestyle? I'm having sex outside of marriage, I'm drinking, I'm behaving terribly, I'm living a willful life. I'm, willful's the key. Not a mistake over the weekend, a willful, disobedient lifestyle. That's what we're talking about here. That's the warning. You can't pray one prayer, live a life that matches nothing like Jesus' life, and think you're getting into heaven. It brings up the verse we all know that nobody ever wants to hear. Remember at the door? Many will knock, and Jesus is going to say what? I never knew you. In other words, you're not getting in because you prayed that one prayer 30 years ago. I want to know you. I want you to follow me. I want you to act the best you can. Not perfect, but try to be like me, and I'll help you do that through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has to help us. We can't be like Jesus without the Holy Spirit, but it's a willful attempt on our part of obedience. It's not a one-time prayer. That is a false sense of security. And then if we were to have that belief, I think it's that verse Paul just said, otherwise you get cut off. It's a lifestyle. Let's keep reading verse 23. And if they, that would be the Jews, if they do not persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. They would be the Jews. They'll be regrafted in. Does that sound like replacement theology is accurate to you? No. I'll help you out. No. For God is able to graft them in. And he'll go on to explain that again. But see, it's conditional. They have a condition too, same as we do. They have to believe in Jesus. 
to be regrafted. Because what did change at the cross, and it was a big game changer for the Jews as much as it is for us Gentiles, now they had a new way they had to sort of adhere to. The Old Testament way, the law was now gone. It was still there as a great moral code to behave and and obey, but it no longer would save anybody. They have to come through Jesus. So if you're Jewish, the only road is through Jesus, period. And that's what they reject. That's the part they don't want to hear. But we as Christians shouldn't be surprised to hear that, are we? We know many verses. I'm going to make us look at one that we know very well, John 14, 6. Another one of my favorite verses. You know it as well as I do. Look what Jesus, this is his words, not mine, Jesus' words. What's it say? I am the way. Not one of the ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look what the next one says. No one. Does that mean the Jews? What is no one to you? Doesn't no one pretty much mean no one? So if you're Jewish, you would be no one. It's everybody comes the same way. No one comes to the Father, including the Jews, except through me. So if you reject Jesus, you got no way to the Father. That's what Jesus is trying to say. That's what they have to get past. That the only way, period, for anybody, Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter, Jesus. It's the only way. And what I like to paraphrase it as, Jesus said really in that verse, it's my way or the highway. And the highway goes to hell. It's my way or the highway for everybody. But see, he made it simple. There's not multiple ways. Our world will tell you there's oh many ways to God, many religions, just believe in a higher power, believe in something good and be a good person. That's exhausted of what Jesus, Satan's glad if you believe that. He knows you're going to hell for that. Jesus said one way, through me, to the Father, not negotiable. Keep that, as we, keep that in memory as we keep reading. Verse 24, after all, back to us Gentiles, after all, you Gentiles, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, remember we're all wild shoots, and contrary to nature, in other words, the hard way, you were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, the Jewish nation, how much more readily will these natural branches, the original Jews, be able to be grafted back into their own olive tree? More agricultural references. Wild by nature. What he's really saying here is all you Gentiles, think about the Gentiles we read about in the Old Testament. They were pagans. They had wrong, false gods. They were doing horrible things, burning their children alive. They didn't know God. So what he's saying here. You were wild by nature. Your nature was disobedient and wild. But God made you a way. He made a way. Contrary to nature means it was even harder than the Jewish people's way. But you still did it. But more readily will be the Jews grafted in because they were the original first choice. God can do it. It'll be easy for him to regraft them when they're ready. But they have to believe in Jesus. Let's keep reading verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so all of us, so that you may not be conceited. He's trying to help us. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. In part is the key. In part, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So in part really signifies it's a temporary hardening. Now, unfortunately, it's been hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years now. It's a, it's a long temporary, and it really won't end until end times. We'll get to that in a second. But it is temporary. It's not permanent. It's not eternal. Look at what verse 26 is. I'm only going to read the first half. 26a, as I like to put it. 26a. And in this way, this regrafting, all Israel will be saved. So Paul is telling us at some point in our future history, all Israel will be saved. Then the question becomes, in my mind, maybe yours too, What does he mean by all Israel? Who is all Israel? Well, if you've been here before when I teach, I'd like to give you some possibilities. I'll let you make your own minds up because we don't exactly know. I'll give you four. Two of them are not real because I'm going to discount them. I'll narrow it down to two pretty solid ones for you and then you can decide. The four possibilities when he says all Israel. The first possibility would be every Jew who's ever lived in history, ever. Which, by the way, a lot of Jewish people believe that one. Yes, I'm Jewish. I've got the DNA. 
I can trace my lineage through the 12 tribes. I'm going to heaven. No, you're not, not unless you go through Jesus. So that doesn't line up with Romans chapter 9. So we're going to discount the every Jew that ever lived. That's kind of out. The second possibility would be the modern church, that whole replacement theology nonsense, as I called it. Well, that doesn't line up with our whole teaching tonight. They, we, we are temporarily maybe replaced, but it's not a permanent. They get a second chance. And really, they could come today if they wanted to. The door is open to believe Jesus for them right now. They just choose to reject. So I would make the case it's not the modern church either. So it's not the every Jew that ever lived. It's not the modern church. But earlier tonight, if I were to turn back, I'm not going to do it, but I read verse 5. Remember, it talked about God preserved a remnant in Paul's day. And then I said, we have one too, the Messianic Jews. Maybe this chosen remnant is all of Israel. Well, that might be true, but to me, that's not big enough. That's not all. All, to me, is all. All. The whole nation, everybody, 100%, all. The chosen remnant is small. So let's go to possibility number four, which is my personal belief, but you make your own mind up. I would make the case it's the remaining Jews in history in the future that choose to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And all of them will kind of all at once at some point in Revelation. Because remember, back in Romans 9, it says the children of God are the children of the promise. The promise is for all nations. And God is faithful. So God did make a covenant promise with Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. He will fulfill that. It will come true that he will bless the nation of Israel. He doesn't go back on his word. We know that. And if he made that covenant with them, he's going to fulfill it. They never said when he would fulfill it. It's going to be further down the road still, even for ours. And it's the end times. We think we're in end times now, by the way, so it could be sooner than we think. But despite their unbelief, despite them being obstinate and rebellious, they're going to get another chance. And at that point, they're going to realize they messed up. Jesus is our Messiah. He's not just for you Gentiles. We messed up. And that's what I believe all Israel gets saved kind of at once. And I'll show you some verses that support that, by the way. Because I don't like to stand up here and make up stories that are my opinion. You know, sometimes you might hear a teacher, not here at Calvary, though, say, I had an inspiration or I had a word or something. You know what we do here? We go to this word. So when I give you some ideas, they're going to be backed up with Scripture. Scripture is the best interpretation of Scripture. Wouldn't you agree to that? So we'll see some verses. But think back to Revelation if you were here when we taught it. In the end times, and it's back in Revelation chapter 14 if you want to go find it later. Remember there was a, a 144,000 people. And we decided and taught that it was Jews. It's 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And if you were here that night, remember I made a joke that the Jehovah's Witness said they were the 144, but they're not, because now there's way more than that number anyway. It's 144,000 Jewish believers that evangelize the Jewish nation. And their primary role, we believe, is to be evangelists to talk to the Jewish people, to say, hey, you messed up. It's Jesus. Guys, as a nation, we drop the ball. It is him. we got to get on board with this. But once again, it only happens in end times. But we'll see a hint of that in our next verse. Let me read the second. I already read the first part of 26. Let's finish 26, and then I'll read 27. As it is written, and by the way, he's quoting Isaiah 59. I'll read that in a second. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's quoting Isaiah 59, verses 12 and 13. Let me read just a little bit. I'm not going to read it all because of time. It says in verse 20 and 21 in Isaiah 59, what we just read just there. The Redeemer will come to Zion. Those in Jacob will repent of their sins, their sin of unbelief, by the way. As for me, this is my covenant. Let's read the covenant. It says, my spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you. My words I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, on the lips of their descendants, from this time on and forever. That is an end times prophecy from Isaiah 59. We'll get an even better verse possibly in a few more minutes. But let's get back in our text. Verse 28. As far as the gospel is concerned, 
talking about the Jews, as far as the gospel is concerned, they're the enemies for your sake. They don't believe in Jesus. But as far as election is concerned, this is that old election chosen thing, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable. God will still honor that covenant promise. And they're enemies, by the way, of the gospel because the gospel is Jesus. Jesus saves the only way. So they're enemies of the gospel because they're enemies of Jesus. And all irrevocable means is unbreakable. It's an unbreakable covenant that God made with Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Verse 30, we're almost getting close to done. Just as you, all of us, were at one time disobedient to God, you've now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the Jews. So they too now have become disobedient, current days, in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you, the Gentiles. What Paul is trying to tell us is because of us accepting Jesus, us believing, it's going to eventually spill over and bless the Jews also. But once again, they have to believe in Jesus. Let me read another verse, the one I mentioned a while ago that I would read that would even maybe make it more crystal clear. Let's look at a prophetic verse out of Zechariah, another great prophecy about the Messiah. Look what it says. Describing the Jews believing finally in Jesus, by the way. Think of that as you read it. I will pour out on the house of David, which is the Jewish nation, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, God talking, Jesus, just imagine Jesus saying this. They will look on me, the one they have, what? Pierced, killed, crucified. And they will mourn for him, for me, as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for the firstborn son. They will realize they pierced Jesus. They crucified him when they yelled, remember, crucify him, crucify him. They're going to mourn and grieve over it. That's a prophetic verse describing end times when they all finally go, oh my gosh, we messed up, we dropped the ball, we've got to get on board with this Messiah. He is the right one. Our ancestors told us the wrong information. We're almost done. The, your Bibles, if you're reading, it has a little title called Doxology. All that really means is closing statement. Let's see Paul's closing statement now. He's going to swing it back to how great God is. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. In other words, God has a plan. He's going to figure it out. He'll make it happen. Don't get too worried. Just have faith. That's what he's really saying. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Nobody. I'll help you out. Who has been his counselor? Once again, nobody. Verse 35 asks a great question. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? He's quoting a verse out of Job. Let's look at it. God asked us this. Who has a claim against me that I must pay them? In other words, do I owe any of you anything? Does God owe us anything? No. Look what he says next. Every, he told this to Job, but it's really for us too. Everything under heaven belongs to me. That's still true. God's word is true. Pastor Dave gave a great message that tied into that this past weekend here in Melbourne at 11. If everything belongs to him, shouldn't we want to give part of it back? Brings up our last main point for taking notes. If everything belongs to God, but I capitalize a word there, we should want to give it back. Not just our money, that's part of it, our offering, our tithe, but our time, our talents, our gifting, our heart. Really, we should give more than part of our heart. We should give our whole heart. But we should want to. God wants a cheerful giver, not a, oh my gosh, I can't believe God wants that back. We get to keep 90%. Shouldn't we want to give the 10 back and serve him, worship him, praise him? Yes, I'll answer my own question, yes. Last verse, verse 36. For I love this verse. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
in some ways, I would make the case that's a great summary of almost the gospel and the whole Bible. Let me explain. The plan for salvation for us and for the Gentiles is from God. He designed it. He made a way. We didn't come up with this on our own. He did it. It's from him. It's for the Jews as much as it is for us, but it's from him. The second part, the plan came through him. The through him is through Jesus. Through Jesus' death on the cross is how we have that way that Jesus talked about. I am the way. It's through God, through Jesus. It's the only way. One way for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Then finally, this whole plan of salvation, it's for him. We sometimes think it's for us, don't we? I just want to go to heaven, so it's for me. I get the benefit. No, it's to bring God glory where he can say, that was my plan. You just got on board with my plan. That was for me and my glory. Why are we created? To worship God, to bring him glory. And we even do that through our salvation. So if you don't know Jesus yet tonight, come find me. We can bring God glory by praying a prayer tonight. But let's just pray tonight that um, we would just be more tolerant if we know any Jewish people. They're not excluded God loves them. They were his first choice. They're coming back. We may or may not see it, depending on where end times fall, but a lot of us believe end times is now. So we may very well see these branches grafted in that I talked about tonight. Wouldn't it be awesome to see if we see all of God's people? It'd be like a picture of heaven already kind of started. Jews, Gentiles, everybody in the whole world the unbelievers will be gone. They'll be in a place they don't want to be, and we'll all be here worshiping, praising, and saying, Jesus is the man. Fully God, fully man, he saved us all, Gentile and Jew alike. So let's just be more tolerant, be more willing to share with our Jewish friends and neighbors possibly, and hopefully God will soften their hearts. He will restore them. We just don't know when or how, but we just have to, once again, have faith. It's going to happen. This whole chapter proves it's going to happen. So if you hear anything different, don't believe it. Let's pray. Lord, tonight, thank you for making that way uh, by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. Lord, we do pray for our entire world, whether they're Jewish believers or Gentile or just totally pagans like we once were ourselves. We pray more people would know you, more people would follow you, that the whole earth would one day repent of their evil, obstinate ways, and turn to you. So, Father, use us as tools in your hands to witness, to share, to love on our neighbors, and to help that process along that you designed, you created, that brings you glory. And, Lord, tonight, if there's anyone here tonight that does not believe, I just pray you would speak to them, and they would change their eternal destination. They would join heaven tonight by believing in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen.